I'm excited. I'm excited about this season. I'm excited about um, the gifts of Christmas we've been talking about here um, in the Advent season. And I, I shared with you last week, if you weren't here, Advent is kind of a new, uh, 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 not a new thing. It's been going on for a long time. It's new to me. I'm inexperienced with Advent, and so uh, I'm excited to kind of celebrate Advent with all of you uh, this season. And, and uh, the word Advent literally means coming or arrival, and it is kind of a way that the church comes together and says, we are excited for the gift that came. And we get to celebrate, again, the anticipation that we had um, as, a, as an entire church of what God did in the Christmas season. So last week we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the time of before Jesus, right before Jesus. And we had a lot of the kind of the history and hopefully you enjoyed that. If you didn't, you can catch up with that. But we talked a lot about that heart and that time. And this week, as we talked about hope, this week we are gonna be talking about the coming and the arrival of love. And so I'm gonna go ahead and light the love candle because uh, that sounds fun to say. <laughs> and the hope candle and the, uh, the love candle. And, and the picture of the candles is simply that light and hope came into a dark world, as Isaiah uh, tells us in Isaiah chapter 9. And this week we are talking about love. And it's funny because I was thinking about love a lot this week as we got ready to prepare. And I was thinking how it's kind of ironic, kind of silly it feels like to at Christmas time be thinking so much about love because we have a holiday to think about love. It's in February. And in February, we're always thinking about love. But then I started thinking, you know what? We really are thinking about love at Christmas time more than we like to admit. Here's how I know. I'm going to play a little game with you guys to warm you up this morning. And it's a little game we like to call Name That Tune. Yes. And here's the thing. I'm going to give you some lines from a song. And I want you to name that tune. And let's see if we can catch the theme of all these songs. We're snuggled up together like two birds of a feather would be. Sleigh ride. Yeah, sleigh ride, right? We're snuggled up together like two birds of a feather would be. Interesting. How about this? When we finally kiss goodnight, how I hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. Let it snow, yes, right? See if you catch the theme here. Please have snow and mistletoe and presents under the tree. I'll be home for Christmas. Some of you know your Christmas song trivia. Mistletoe hung, where you, mistletoe, oh, I, gotta, I gotta give you the cadence or you won't get it. Mistletoe hung where you can see. Yeah, there you go. Every couple of times to stop, right? How about this one? In the meadow, we can build a snowman and pretend that he is Parson Brown. He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no, man. But yeah, good. All right, if you couldn't get any of those one, this one's the obvious one. All I want for Christmas is you. That's the name of the song. <laughs> it's the lyric of the song and the name of the song, right? So let's agree that the world is thinking about love this season. And a lot of the songs and a lot of the stories that are being told at Christmas time are about Love, as a matter of fact, in a, in a 2014 American uh, wedding study that was conducted by Brides Magazine, researchers found that 19% of all engagements occur in December. This dwarfs Valentine's Day. It blows Valentine's Day out of the water. Cupid, you got nothing on mistletoe, right? So we have this resounding truth. People are thinking about love at Christmas time, they are. As a matter of fact, as I was preparing this and reading this, I realized I got engaged on Christmas Eve a lot of years ago. I won't say how many. A lot of years ago, more than you think. <laughs> it actually says that this is the uh, Christmas Eve is by far statistically the most popular day for engagements, and then Christmas Day is second, then New Year's Day, and then Valentine's Day comes in fourth comes in fourth for engagements. So the world is thinking about love and there's nothing wrong with celebrating love during this season. There's nothing at all wrong with that. I just think sometimes we are not honest at how much we are celebrating love this season. We're not actually aware of it. If you get engaged this Christmas Eve, I'll be stoked for you. That's awesome. You should totally do that. 
<laughs> I'll totally be excited. But, uh, you know, at some of us at, at the Christmas Eve and Christmas season, we're in more awareness than ever of maybe loneliness or isolation or other things that are connected to this idea of love. But here's the problem. It is possible to go through this whole season and put entirely too much emphasis on cuddling and romantic love and marketable love that you can package and sell and miss the actual love that Christmas is all about. And so we recognize that, as our video said, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. And that is the heart of the Christmas story. And so I wanted to share each of these weeks, we're gonna share just some story from some folks here in our body as they talk about how the gifts of Christmas has impacted their lives. So would you take a look and for a moment here, let someone in our body share their story of how love interacted with them. Um, well, when I was little, I was um, raised in the Joe's way. So um, for me, I didn't really have much of a personal relationship with God. I thought he was kind of this big, scary <laughs> God up in the sky, up in heaven, um, that, you know, just wanted us to live by these rules, these laws that... Um, you know, we have to live by in order to be acceptable to him. You have to work for all these things, and you know, you work all your life until death, and then you still have sure. So it wasn't personal. It was basically this is what we did. You know, growing up, and we, I was in the type of church where we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek service. So we were heavily into, you know, doing things uh, for God. On the outside, I could repeat things. I could speak and talk and, and, and look and do everything that everybody else did. On the inside, I, I'd tell I was like dead man's bones. I, I was dead inside. Uh, I turned away. And, you know, people who were in the church wronged me that I took personally. And I... I turned away uh, because I finally just wanted to do my own thing. So I was living like there was no God for about seven years. And at this time, I was agnostic and borderline atheist because I was, whatever I was looking at, whatever I was viewing was that type of understanding, that type of life. And uh, my we, I already had a failed marriage, and we were on the brink of uh, divorce. I was in the worst place of, like, of my entire life, and I had just become this dark, like, evil person. I felt like uh, I just had gotten so far away from who I truly was, who I was as a child, as a teenager. And I just destroyed like everything in my life, every relationship, every... Um, it's a good thing I was just destroying myself and my family and our marriage and um, I was I was miserable I was super depressed and like had so much anxiety and fear she was ready to leave and I was like very indifferent to anything ready to move on and I remember getting down on my bedroom floor and uh, face down on the floor, hands stretched out, laying down, face planted in the carpet, and just crying out like, if, God, if you are there, I need you. I don't want this life anymore. And at that instant, I felt his presence on me. And, uh, and it was, it like, was overwhelming and like, took the breath out of me and uh, and I was like you're here you're you're with me it changed me <laughs> uh, it his love toward me changed my heart toward people so when he started to change it was just like wow like this is crazy <laughs> God's Where real. is this coming from? Yeah, like, this has to be God. We just started reading the Bible together, and I started, like, hearing 
what Jesus says about you and about mm. us as people is um, that he just has this undying love for us. God like literally came in and the Holy Spirit just came upon me and just it was this overwhelming peace and joy and love and freedom and healing and like rivers of living water were flowing from my heart and my heart felt like it had just expanded like filling my whole chest cavity love is so personal and intimate and that he loves me just because he loves me and you know it's not about what you do it's not about what you've done in the past um there's nothing that you can do to separate us from god's love it's a beautiful picture God's love and that we always were created for, you know, and, and it's finding that purpose that that is why we were created uh, because he loved us. I've Ramble. never been videoed with videos. That's so funny. Never? <laughs> never. never been videoed. <laughs> uh, thank you pastor andrew too for your work to help put that together for us and if any of you have a videographer gifting skill set pastor andrew would love to talk with you afterwards <laughs> but uh yeah it's a fascinating thing as we recognize that this has been a love story since the beginning since the first clay was formed into the shape of a man and breath went into his lungs since the plan of Jesus came into the picture for all of us. Since Christmas became a thing, it has been clear that this has been a love story from the beginning. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Through him. This has been a love story from the beginning. If you look at the words of Jesus, time and time again, he articulates that the message and the power and the authority that he's sending us out with and the description of his followers was always going to be connected to love. Uh, John chapter 13, uh, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man glorified is glorified and God is glorified in him. As God, uh, God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. He's like, there's all of this glory. So my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me just as I once told the Jews. Uh, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 34, but listen to this. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, this is going to be the defining characteristic of my followers. As a matter of fact, it's gonna be so prevalent, so evident in you. It's gonna pour out of you in such huge volumes and amounts that other people who have not had an opportunity to have a relationship with me yet will begin to recognize something in you that is unique, that is different. And that thing will be love. That's the story, that's the gift, that's the overflow of that. As a matter of fact, we often refer to the greatest commandment that Jesus shares. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, that love is integral to this Christian experience. And so God had to demonstrate what love was like. I love the idea of a greatest commandment, by the way, because it implies that this is the largest, most critical piece of the equation. It's the greatest Commandment. I actually had this uh, tension as I was trying to resolve this. I couldn't land on it theologically, but I began to wonder if maybe the greatest sin would be to not love since it's the greatest commandment. I don't know that I can get there biblically, but I do think I can get there logically that it would be a great offense to violate the greatest commandment and not then love. As a matter of fact, I started thinking about what's the greatest commandment in my own house? Because you have commandments in your house. You have some things, thou shalt not talk during the Seahawks. I don't know. <laughs> the phone shall not ring while, you know, while it's on. So I asked my kids, I said, okay, okay, guys, if you were to articulate what's the greatest commandment in our house, what would it be? So I have one of my kids right here. I'll let him say, Braden, 
What's the greatest commandment in our house? Don't lie. Don't lie. My kids know that that is the thing that will push daddy over the top. That break. Why? Because lying breaks relationship. It breaks trust. And in our home, we have to trust each other. We have to be able to count on each other. We can't deal with whatever it is we have to deal with if we don't have the truth. So if you broke something, took something, did something, we can get past that. But if we don't know, we can't move forward and we can't trust you. So in our house, time and time again, we talk about, hey, what's the thing we don't do here? We don't lie. We don't lie. We make mistakes, but we don't lie. And uh, the second thing they said was don't jump on the couch. That was pretty good. I think I'm doing my job. <laughs> it's the thing they hear me repeat the most. So <laughs> it's what comes out. I think if they had more time, they would have heard don't play on the stairs and a couple of things like that. But in terms of the don'ts and the commandments, the greatest commandment in our house is don't lie. In God's relationship with us as a family, he's got a greatest commandment. And it's that we love. And it's that we love. And he went first. He demonstrated love because he so loved the world that he gave. And the Christmas story is an incredible love story. You know, I get emotional whenever I think about this, so I try not to talk about it too much. But, but I recognize something as a father that I didn't recognize before I was a father. I recognize the incredible love that it would take to send my child into harm's way for somebody else. Because there's a lot of things I'll do. And there's a lot of places where my love can get put to the test. And there's a few people on this planet that I can imagine the scenario that I would step into severe harm's way for that person. But there's no one that I'd put my child in harm's way for. I don't know that kind of love. I don't have that capacity. Yet God said, I still love the world. But I'm giving my son, putting him in harm's way so that each and every one of you has an opportunity to have restored and whole relationship with me. So if you don't think the Christmas story is a love story, then you don't understand the love of a perfect father towards you and towards all of us. And so I started to process uh, how, how this love actually could look in each and one, every one of our lives, because I understand that God did something for us. He initiated an incredible love story. And then his response from our end is that we keep that chain of love going throughout time and throughout history. The church sprung up because individuals like you and like me believed on, uh, in, in a God who was so loving that we could demonstrate that love to others. And others looked at that and said, this is different. This is different than what culture tells me love is. This is different than what culture tells me I have to behave like. There's something unique about you. And then the opportunity to share the story of what God's done for us opens up and we can demonstrate love again and again, and again. So I got to thinking, what does it really look like to demonstrate love? What does it look like? How do we actually do it? What did God do, and then how can we do it? And I started thinking about this gift of love. I don't know if you can see this. I'll try to pick it up for you. But it's a gift. Love's a gift. And in the gifts of Christmas, it's a gift that we've received. But I want to unpack this gift for you a little bit today. I'm going to unpack it as much as I can. And when I run out of time, it's going to be on you to unpack the rest of it. How about that? Fair enough? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to jump to the love chapter. You know where it is if you've been in church for a while. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's weird to be in 1 Corinthians 13 at Christmas because we're usually there at Valentine's Day or on your wedding day, which is a weird thing to even be at on your wedding day because the story of love here is one that is such a big thing to unpack. Most of you don't want to have hour and a half long weddings. So we get run-bys and, and, uh, and glance-overs, but today we're going to unpack a little bit this gift of love and what that looks like. Now, what's important to recognize is that 1 Corinthians is a letter to a church. It's not just a random group of sayings. It's not Proverbs, and it's not Psalms, it's not songs, and it's not just wise notes. It's a letter to a church, and it's a letter to a church in crisis. It's a letter to a church that's having a hard time figuring out now that they have this relationship with Jesus and they're experiencing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. They're having a hard time figuring out how to take this gift that they've received and use it in community with one another and it's causing chaos. If you read the chapters around 1 Corinthians 13, they're chapters about order in the church 
and when we get together, how we treat one another, how we use the gifts that God's given us in a way that doesn't uh, do damage, but instead points people to the heart and the love of God. First Corinthians chapter 12 is all about the gifts that God pours out into people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's all about how we do that uh, uh, in, in relationship to one another. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is just all about power. And it's power that God pours out into the church, into the life of the believer that's accessible to you and accessible to me. If you're wondering what it looks like to have all of what God's best for you is, you should read through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And right in the middle of this conversation about the gifts that the Spirit provides for you and the power that's accessible to you and how that should look in the life of a believer, he frames in this discussion about love because love binds together all of the power that God puts into our hearts and lives to display in one another, to give uh, glory both to him and to demonstrate our love for one another. And he says, you gotta frame this right. And love is the thing that frames us. And right smack in the middle, we get this love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read to you a little bit. And in that context, I want you to catch what Paul's saying and what the scriptures tell us. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Man, I could just pitch a tent right there and we could talk for a long time about conversation that's wise, that's intelligent, that's sharp, that has insight, that has depth, and it's cruel, and it's loveless, and it's damaging, and it's destructive, and it doesn't build anybody up. It just shreds them down. We see that all the time. People moving through intellect and moving through even their giftings, but not using it in a way that brings life to anyone. And Paul's like, knock it off. You're just a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. Just let that hit for a second. Paul says, power not married to love is nothing. It's nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Sacrifice that isn't rooted in love gains you nothing. It's just manipulative. It's just manipulative. So Paul says to this church, to church folks, like you and me who are here that are church folks, he says, I want you to understand something. There is a appearance of power and sacrifice and authority that is not rooted to this gift of love. Why? Because Jesus said they're only gonna know your disciples not by your tremendous faith, not by your eloquent speech, not by the gifts that I've gifted you. They're gonna know that you represent me by how you love. So the gift I gave you and demonstrated of love that I showed you what that looks like, that is the thing that must come out. It must be on display. You don't have permission to be unloving at any point. You can do it, but you'll gain nothing. You'll gain nothing. So Paul breaks into this description of love. I'm going to read the whole description, and then we'll walk through it a little bit here. He says, hey. He doesn't say hey, but I say hey. Hey, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The tag of that is love never fails. He says, let me explain. You've received a gift. I've given you this gift of love. Now I expect you to give this away. So when you unpackage this gift, it looks like something. And let me clear the confusion for you. Because for some of you, he's speaking directly to church people, you've got a bad idea of what love really looks like. And if you're going to give love away, you better know what love is. 
and what it looks like. And so here's what my challenge is for you. I'm going to share some of, some of the stuff here. But what I want you to be thinking about is this. If this holiday season, if just generally as followers of Jesus, our call is to give away love, then where is your opportunity and how is that looking in your life? So I want you to be thinking about opportunities because for some of you, if I say you got to give love away this holiday, you don't even know what that means. Well, how's that going to look? Do you understand who, you're, who I'm going to see this holiday season? How in the world am I going to love them? And you feel the tension and you're trying to process. So I'm going to unpackage love for you a little bit. I'm going to pull the, pull the lid off. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and you pull the lid off and you look behind the curtain and the first gift that's inside the gift is just this. You can be patient. You can be patient. When you're patient, according to the definition of love, you're giving away love. You're giving away love. Why? Because love is patient. Is every moment of patience love? No. Sometimes patience, you're just in the back of your mind, I'm not talking yet because I'm mounting my argument, right? That's not what this is. What does this word patient literally mean? It literally means long suffering. I'm long in my suffering. I'm not short in my suffering. You're causing me suffering and I'm willing to go long there. I'm willing to take some time before I interact. It actually has this picture about of, uh, the word there for, uh, for patience has this picture of the longest amount of suffering that's humanly endurable. So good luck unpackaging this. But some of you have no amount of suffering that's endurable before you react. Someone offends you. Someone speaks in a way that you don't like, does something you don't like, and your patience is gone. Don't you make me suffer. And your reaction is in, in no way intended to be, but ultimately is incredibly unloving. For some of you, the most loving thing you can give away this holiday season to someone you're going to see, someone you're going to interact with, someone you're going to be waiting behind in line at Walmart, someone you're going to be waiting at a light behind, someone that's at your workplace, even in your home, who can't find their shoes in the morning when it's time to go to school, someone that you interact with, maybe the most loving thing you can give away is your patience. So you know what? Center myself, <laughs> gather myself, and remember that my job is to be loving and to give love away because I've received love. And one of the greatest gifts of Christmas I can give away might just be, I'm gonna be patient with you today. I know God's still working on you. I know you're not perfect, just like I'm not perfect. So I'm gonna assume the best. And even though it makes me suffer a little bit while I'm waiting here, I'm gonna be patient with you. Because let's face it, a lack of patience is a lack of love. Someone who's not patient with you, you don't feel like they love you. You know. When they're snapping, when they're, ah, come on, let's go, let's go. That's not love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Woo! So many layers to kindness. So much in there. And here's the thing. You know kindness when you see it. And you know a lack of kindness when you see it. And if you think back to your interactions with folks, I'm just wondering, would you say, you know what, that was the kind thing to do? The scripture tells us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God interacts with us in a kind way. Why? Because God's love and love demands kindness. And when we experience kindness, it makes us malleable to his heart and his will. It makes us responsive to him. How responsive are you to people who aren't kind to you? How much influence do you give them into your life? How much do you open your heart to their words and even to their presence when they're not kind to you? Some of you are like, you don't understand. I just got to tell people the truth. Okay, but be this be this. Don't leave this behind. Some of us think we can be loving without being kind. It's a lie. Am I holding that up right? You guys can read that. We got to be kind. I'm going to move somewhat quickly, but listen, it says it doesn't envy. As I unpackage love, it doesn't envy. Well, that's easy. It doesn't envy. 
It doesn't end. You got to remember, it's not jealous. Paul's writing to this church and they're experiencing the blessing and the provision of God. And in, in chapter 12, he's talking about seeking greater things from God and that what's happened here, and, and he, it's the whole place where he has to say, not, just because your hand doesn't mean you're less honorable than someone who's a head, who's a neck or whatever. He's saying, don't play the comparison game because you can't play the comparison game and love somebody. You can't look at their life and go, well, psh, if my husband was more like their husband or if my wife did what their wife did or if I had the job or if my parents paid for the thing like the way they're, whatever it is that becomes the measuring stick if my kids, you know, had, had turned out the way their kids turned out or if they got, you know, if they had to deal with what I had to deal with, whatever that is, that's what the heart of this is. It's don't look at what someone else has with a deep desire is what the word in there literally talks about. It's earnest desire for what they have. Earlier, he'll use the same phrase and he'll say, you should earnestly desire the gifts of the Lord. And then he'll use this and he'll say, but you shouldn't earnestly desire someone else's life or benefit. You shouldn't play the comparison for that. You shouldn't be deep down in your core. And we've spent time talking about this church and we understand this is a kryptonite that gets in your heart when it comes to loving someone. It is. It contaminates everything. If you look at their life and go, well, we really love them. Oh, I just wish I drove what they drive. I could do what they did. I had their talent, their skill set. It looks God straight in the eye and says, you ripped me off because look what you did for them. It rejects the heart of God for your creation, for your design, for what you were made for here on earth. And it gets in the middle of every potential relationship experiencing true love. You can't envy. You can't. So here's the thing. You can give this away this year. Because when this swells up and you're with somebody, they invite you over and you're like, oh, I wish I had time to clean my house or make food the way they did. Or, I don't know what your thing is. Whatever it is that starts to rise up in you, you can kill this. And by killing this, you can demonstrate love. You can walk in and say, wow, it's awesome. And I'm so happy for what God's doing for you. That's so cool. I, I love being a part of your story. Thanks for inviting me into your story. Thanks for letting me be a part. It doesn't boast. Woo! It doesn't boast. This is a fun word here. It means, like, become a braggart. It means a... Uh, a haughtiness, it means I have to get looked at, right? This is connected to the same idea of the comparison trap, right? There's envy and then there's boasting. And we do this all the time. Well, at least I'm not there, right? You see somebody else's life and you're like, oh, makes me feel so much better. Their kids are way more out of control than my kids, <laughs> right? They they clearly haven't been as responsible in whatever area. It's somehow looking at someone else and believing that their situation means you are more than you are. It's the opposite of humility. The scriptures tell us time and time again, humility, consider one another's above yourself. This is saying, hey, respect me, see me. And you've been around people who can't resist this. Any story, come on, I love this one. Any story they, you say, you share, they got one just a little bit better. Just a little bit better. Oh yeah, it's just like this, your, your cute little story is just like this awesome story that I have. Don't be that guy. Don't do, that's unloving. You may not even realize that's in you. Maybe the best thing you can do is just be aware that sometimes you do that. And take a deep breath and go, I don't wanna, have to draw this holiday season all of the attention to me. Boasting. Oftentimes, it's about I'm looking good and also I'm making you look bad. And that's what I don't always connect to my boasting, right? I don't always connect that it's not just that I'm making me look good, but I'm trying to make sure you look bad in some way and that somehow makes me feel better about myself. And Paul's telling this church, when you do that, it's unloving, doesn't matter what other gifts are coming out of you. Doesn't matter how else you're trying to use them. If it's about putting attention at yourself so you could put somebody else down, you've absolutely missed the gift of love that you've received. 
You're no longer demonstrating that image of Jesus. So don't do it. Don't boast. Don't boast. Where are we at? Oh, it's not proud. Also connected to this. It's not proud. It's inside the gift. It's not proud. This is a great word. The, the, the Greek word I actually wrote this down is fusio. You have to say it like that. It's onomatopoeic. Fusio, right? Because the idea is it, it's blown full of air, like puffed up. Don't be fusioed. Don't be puffed up. I like that one. That was a really good one. Don't puff yourself up. It's connected to boasting. Don't feel like you have to somehow elevate your situation. The reality is what comes in this is usually just honesty, right? I have to just make myself feel a little bit better. And so I'm dishonest or I tweak things and I blow more air. In my, and, and sometimes you just feel like, just recognize me. Give me more attention. This is the me thing that just ugh, kills love and loving relationships. You're awesome. You're designing the image of God. You don't have to do this. You're a masterpiece. He designed you perfectly. He intended for you, created you, gave you something to do, planned for you to be here. He looked down from heaven and, and through all of eternity and said, I want to design you, not just for right now, but I'm going to make you eternal so that you can spend forever with me. The fact that he values you that so much, there's no reason to go out and try to puff yourself up. You're okay. He loves you. Don't be a fusioer. That's awesome. That'll be the thing you remember. <laughs> uh, it's funny because he talks a lot about the knots. I think there's eight knots in a row. Maybe it's nine. It's not rude. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. It's not rude. Look at someone and say, don't be rude. So you're awake. What does rude mean? The word there is inappropriate. Treating someone with disdain. This church that he's writing to was filled with rude things that he was addressing. He was addressing behavior in church. He was addressing um, uh, ladies that were talking in a way that was disrespectful to what was going on and this chatter and this gossip that was going on. He talks about how they observe the Lord's Supper, that they show up to observe the Lord's Supper and they devour all the food before anyone else can get there. They're just being rude. They're not considering anybody else. He'll, he'll use the same phraseology when he talks about how we behave with our bodies and sexual sin. He says, you can't love someone and abuse them, use them. That's rude. You can't treat someone, you can't demonstrate love and then treat someone like an object. That's rude. It comes up time and time again in Paul's writing towards the church. We're the people that aren't supposed to be rude. Now, sometimes we couch rudeness with winks and smiles and whispers. It sounds something like this. Well, listen, I don't want to be rude, but did you see, right? And then we do rude things. We knock it, knock it off. We gossip. We do things that are rude. We talk behind someone's back. That's rude. Some of you are like, well, it's just the way I talk. I'm just blunt. Yeah, you're just rude. Just saying that doesn't mean that it's not what it is, right? I'm just being authentic. I'm being real. You're being real rude. And that's not what, the, that's not what this is. That's not what we're called to. We're not called to be rude. The way we treat each other, the way we behave towards one another. Man, maybe the only thing you need to take away is this for some of you. Just, to, just be, give an effort. For some of you, the most loving thing you can do when that person shows up this holiday season that drives you crazy is take a deep breath, show some patience, and just no matter what they do, choose not to be rude. Don't be rude. Doesn't mean you can't have boundaries. You can't say, hey, it's enough of that. When they're being rude, doesn't mean you have to sit in their rudeness indefinitely and just take it. But you can be patient. You can be kind with them. And you can make a decision to not be rude. What a tension. I can't be rude and loving. I just can't. It doesn't work. It's not the same thing. Opposite ends of the spectrum. Sometimes we just love our own opinion more than I love what my opinion's doing to you. It's rude. It's rude. It's not self-seeking. 
It's not self-seeking. Self-seeking is another word to say selfish. It's not self-seeking. Some of us think that we're loving and we're so selfish. We can't even understand how selfish we're being. Selfish is a hard thing to see in the mirror. No one looks at the mirror and goes, you know what my big issue is? I'm too selfish, right? We look in the mirror and we come up with other things. Oh, I'm not responsible enough in this area and I've slipped over here. Sometimes my language or my attitude or whatever. You know, like those are things that we can kind of be self-aware. But it's hard to look at your, in the mirror and go, you know what the issue is? I just think I'm entitled to more. More than you have. More than I got right now. More than God's provided for me. I just think I'm entitled to more. Just think I should have it. Deep down in my core, that's my issue. I think I should have Whatever it is, I should have it. If you got it, I want all of what you got plus one more. There was a story I heard, uh, these two uh, famous composers performing at a concert and the, one of the composers, I, I won't get their names right, I won't even try. One of the composers said, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I want to uh, perform at this, but I can't come and perform at this unless I make more than the other guy. So I need to make more than the other guy, whatever that is. So they both come and they perform. And at the end, the guy gets the equivalent of $1. And I said, well, the other guy did it for free. <laughs> so, but that's where the heart of this is, right? It's just self-seeking. Whatever it is, I want to make sure I get more. I get a little bit more. It's just that picture of making sure my interests are the primary interests of this relationship. Why would I be nice to them? What's in it for me? What's in it for me to be kind to them? He had a scenario just last night. Guy showed up at my door. He was inebriated and needed some help. And it was weird because it was late and it was dark and he just knocked on the door. And I was like, ah, this is weird. What is my heart? What's in this for me? Like, just go away. <laughs> right? I've got my kids here, my family here. It's late. How do I interact with this person, God? What's, what's my opportunity? I want to be Jesus, but I want to be safe, and I want you out of my door. <laughs> so how do I solve that? What's the right answer? And, you know, so I spent some time. I talked with him for a little while, and, you know, he couldn't put a coherent story together. He didn't want the police involved to get help. He couldn't articulate really where he wanted to go. He just wanted to get to Meridian, essentially, at the end of the day. And I was like, okay, let me walk with you. It's rainy, and so let me get ready. I get ready, and I just walked with him out to the road. And you know, hey, can I can I pray for you or anything? No, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, okay, all right. Then I called the non-emergency, and was like, so dude, <laughs> this guy's wandering down the street. He's a little, you know, why? Because I just I had to be. But you know what I wanted to do? Hey, no thanks, buddy. Just head off. I said, no, let me call, you know, and just get him some help and get him some support. Let me do that for him. How do we do that? It's not easily angered. Some of you just need to write down, this holiday season, my job is to not be easily angered. My primary job doesn't mean I'm not ever going to get anger, angry. doesn't mean angry is a sin. It means that hair trigger anger is not loving. I'm not going to be easily angered. Oh, man. I could unpack this one for more time than we have. Forgives, I'm not gonna keep a record of wrongs. I'm not gonna keep a case. Man, I'm so good at this. I don't know if you're good at this. Some of you are like, oh, it's no big deal and it's over and you just lose it. I'm like, oh, it's no big deal and I will never forget. <laughs> right, that's my natural state. So I have to look at that and go, so in my natural state, I'm not giving away love. I'm paying lip service to love, but I'm not demonstrating love. So I have to be intentional and recognize, okay, God, am I really okay? Do I, have I really released the debt that they incurred to me? Or did I play lip service to it so they feel better and I feel like I did what you designed me to do, but in my core and in my heart, I'm still holding on. I'm still holding on. Maybe giving away forgiveness would be the thing. No record of wrongs. <laughs> it's not evil. This seems so obvious. But you know what the picture of delighting in evil is here? It's not that I don't do evil to you. It's just that I celebrate when you mess up. It delights in the evil. When I know, oh man. Can I talk to just church people for a second here? If you really believe you're a church people, you know you've seen this, right? You've seen the circle of, 
oh man, that person really tanked. Did you hear what they did? And it's almost like you're delighting that no one knows your stuff, so it's safe. But you all know their stuff. And since you all know their stuff, it's like a delight that comes in. And if you've ever been on the underside of that, the other side of that, where you're vulnerable, where your stuff is exposed, where you're trying to get the healing and restoration that you need, and, and someone's celebrating your fall, that's the end. That's a wrap for relationship, for love, for doing what Jesus done. This is not what Jesus does when he demonstrates love. He doesn't delight in evil. He rejoices with the truth and and I don't have time to unpack everything at the level I'd like to unpack it for you, but we're the truth people. We're the truth people. We don't just tell you what you wanna hear to make the conversation go away. We don't just assent or give our consent to every lie. Someone comes up to you and says, I'm just living my own truth. And we're the people who say, we really love you, but here's the real truth. As we experience it, that you're loved that God paid the price for you, that you're valuable, that he has a plan for you that's better than this plan you're trying to work out on your own. We give people the truth. I'll wrap it up. He always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Can you imagine if we gave that kind of love away this holiday season? If we were protective of other people? If someone came up and said, hey, did you hear about Jeff Jr.? And I said, you know what? That's not how we talk here. But if you heard about Jeff Jr., you need to go talk to him. And that's the person you should be talking to. That's what protecting looks like. Having the other person's best interest in heart and invest. That's what loving looks like. Hopes. Perseveres. I just could never care about that person again. We never get that permission. We never get to just believe, hey, you know, so people that have wronged us, we can have boundaries. We've had the boundary conversation in here lots of time. You can go back on the podcast. We talk about boundaries. It's important. God designed us to, to have processes for dealing with tension and, res, and resolving that tension. But we never get to be the people who say, I'm out of ever loving or wanting God's best for that person. We just don't get to do that. Why? Because we receive that. And that kind of love never fails. First John 4, 8. John in his aged state says, whoever doesn't love just doesn't know God because God is love. He says, if you're not unpacking this gift, then you haven't had an authentic relationship with God because if you did, these would be the evidences of that coming out of your life because he's love. This should be what's coming out of you. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, Christmas, so that we might live through him. This is love. Not just that we, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Easter. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It's the greatest rule. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is what marks you as a follower of Jesus. Have the conversation. How do I know if I'm saved? Is this what's coming out of you? And this, is this evidence in you? Because this is what marks you, he says, as a follower of Jesus. Later on in, in 1 John chapter 3, I don't think it's up there, verse 14, he says, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. He says, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love. Because this is what comes out of us because we have a desire for this. This is in our heart. This is in us. First Corinthians, Paul wraps up these thoughts and he says, and these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. He says, the biggest picture, the greatest commandment, the strongest thing that we can give away as followers of Jesus this holiday season is love. So here's my challenge. Here's my invitation. It's practical. It's pragmatic. I'm not trying to get an emotional response out of you. I'm trying to get a practical response out of you. Can you do this this holiday season? Can you give love away? Because freely you receive, freely give. And what does that look like for you? Maybe it looks like a little extra patience. Maybe it looks like you don't puff yourself up when you have an opportunity to puff yourself up. You give some credit and some glory away to someone else that you could have tried to point at yourself. 
Maybe it's just being kind. Maybe it's just a decision to not be rude. I'm not sure what it is for you. But at the heart of the Christmas story is God demonstrated love towards us. And if you want to give Christmas away and you think you can do it without doing this, you've missed it. And the whole world that's trying to tell you this is a season for romance and love is in the air, we could give away a genuine love. Not that romantic love isn't important, but the Christmas story wasn't a romantic love story. It was a personal, deep to your core love for you and your identity and who you are. And out of that, we get to be the bride of Christ and it gets sloppy and messy and we love all that. Would you stand with me? This is your challenge. This is your invitation. Look for ways to give some love away. Maybe you gotta give it away as blood out here in the, uh, in, the, in the blood center and that's cool. I really thought there was some tie into communion this week since the blood band was out there, but I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna go there. I just wanna talk about love. So I'm gonna pray, Jesus, we love you. And we're grateful for your love. And we just want to be ambassadors of that love this season. Help us to give it away in ways that maybe we hadn't even expected. Make us aware in our core as we want to be more and more like you that there are times when we don't even realize we're being unloving and it's not our intent. Would you just, by your power of your Holy Spirit, surface that in us and help us to give away love? Can, 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 can people we interact with experience genuine, authentic love in simple, uh, way, life, but life-changing ways? Maybe some, you know, your word says it's kindness. Your kindness leads us to repentance. It literally means that you draw changed behavior and new life out of us through your kindness. Maybe our kindness as your ambassadors could lead to hearts being changed this season and relationships and life could be restored. How cool would that be and how successful would the Christmas season be if that happened? So we love you back. And we, we wanna do the greatest. We wanna, dad, we wanna get the, the, the greatest commandment right that we love you with everything we got and we give that love away to the people you put in front of us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.